Welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy, and I'm uh, solo hosting uh, while Rob is uh, doing his thing and preparing for uh, our big trip to Israel. Um, with me today, I've got uh, a, a very special guest, and this one's going to be um, hard to hear, um, but it is a, a story that needs to be talked about and um, something that's going to be familiar to a lot of people here because I know a lot of folks have experienced what the hospitals have done uh, during this time of COVID and some of the things that have gone on. And uh, with that, I'm going to get right into it. Our uh, guest is Scott Shera. And Scott is the founder and president of Our Amazing Grace. And his daughter, and I'll let him tell the details of this story, but his daughter was um, essentially murdered in um, a hospital in his community. And um, Scott has uh, been on the uh, road and on the radio and, um, you know, on television shows and on radio and podcasts and everything, um, you know, fighting this fight uh, and getting awareness out there for what happened to his daughter. And, and uh, as a part of his work, he's also been able to kind of expose some of the broader things that are going on. So uh, with that, um, I welcome Scott Shera to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Very nice introduction. Yeah, well, listen, uh, you know, I, um, I I hate having to have, uh, you know, these shows and these discussions because it's, you know, I know it's painful for you to get through and, um, you know, it's hard for me and our audience to hear, but um, you're, you're out there doing super important work. Um, you know, tell, tell the story of, um, of your daughter and, and what you went through and, uh, and then let's, you know, let's talk about the, the sort of, you know, broader aspects of everything, if you would. So this, you know, the story, I'm going to start way back because Grace was, Grace was born in 2002, uh, September 22nd, 2002. And that was after, um, an act of obedience by my wife and I. We were both 39 and we decided to let God lead in the baby department. We had already had two kids and so our son Travis was 14, our son Jessica was 12 and we're 39 years old and God decided to bless us with with our beautiful daughter Grace and we named her Grace after God's grace. Uh, and Amen. why did he, he blessed us beyond what any parent should ever get i don't know why he picked us but for some reason he did and and uh we had we we had uh, 19 years with an angel walking around amongst us she was very high functioning with down syndrome uh, we homeschooled her my wife did a great job grace could read and write uh, she played wow. violin at my daughter jessica's wedding uh, i taught her how to drive a car you know hmm. she just uh, she deer hunted with me um, you know, she, and she had a, oh, she had a sense of humor. Um, was, <laughs> well, we, we, we put up a, we put up a picture and, you know, yeah, she's, she's beautiful and you can just see that uh, loveliness and, and character in her. Yeah, she, she was, she was funny one time during, uh, one of the deer hunts we're on, we were in the deer stand and she said, dad, uh, I have a joke for you. Now you got to consider most people would think a down syndrome person is slow mentally and, uh, Grace really was not slow mentally. She had a lot on the ball. In fact, uh, this so this example just shows you where her where her mind was. She said, "I have a joke for you." I said, "What's your joke?" And she said, "Where do bees go to the bathroom?" And I said, "I don't know. Where do the bees go to the bathroom?" And she said, "The BP station." And she <laughs> came up with that. 
I mean, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. And you know, she, um, she had a, a knowledge of God and knew Jesus at a level that, um, yeah, I, I want to be there someday. So she called me without any prompting. She called me earthly dad. I mean, that was, was, uh, how wow, she referred cute. to me. Uh, so it was, it was pretty neat. Um, as we, we get into the story, I mean, so Grace was 19. She had just had her 19th birthday on September 22nd. On September 28th, she had what we thought was a cold, and we were fully prepared at home with the frontline doctor's protocol, so we had had her on uh, all the vitamins and things ahead of time, and we basically assumed if there's a sniffle, because the, the Delta variant was running uh, pretty rampant at that time, we just wanted to get... Uh, whoever got the sniffle first on ivermectin, so we got her on ivermectin right away. And ultimately, on October 6th, she couldn't maintain her oxygen saturation above 90%, so we took her to the emergency room. And, you know, a common question that people have asked is, well, what was the reason that that the frontline doctor's protocol didn't work? And the answer is part of the research that that I've done since Grace died. And, and what motivated this particular piece was that I was in a different hospital three days after Grace died with symptoms similar to Grace, but about three times worse. I just about died the first night. And so the, you think, well, how could two out of three people in our family end up in the hospital when that's a rarity, especially following the frontline doctor's protocol? And what I found out was Dr. Chetty, who's a South African doctor, pieced it together in that if you have a genetic disposition to produce inflammation or clot, that will produce situations in your body where you can't maintain your oxygen saturation. And I knew pre-COVID I had both of those genetic dispositions. So logically, Grace inherited those from me, and that's why we ended up in the hospital. Ultimately, wow. the emergency room physician suggested admitting Grace to the hospital, you know, at this point, I, I'm just trusting the white coat. I mean, I, I don't I have a positive experience of any hospital stay I've ever been in, but I never thought they would be out to accomplish an agenda. So, you know, even though I wasn't necessarily for admitting her, I thought, well, they know better than me. And, you know, what I, if I would have known then what I know now, we would have never admitted her and Grace would be alive today because they would have sent her home with a prescription for oxygen and a steroid and she would have been fine. The doctors in the hospital that I went to used a completely different opposite protocol. They didn't follow anything that the CDC and the NIH recommend. They followed their own protocol and saved my life. And so I can't say enough about that hospital and yet the hospital that Grace was at um, killed her and you know you referenced the murder word at the beginning and in the last six weeks or so I've really crossed over into that camp and so I believe it, it, it there's I think it was premeditated murder that's my personal belief and when you hear the story you got to make your own judgment um, yeah I, I I've been uh, just recently using that word more um, because I've had a series, and you know our our, our viewers and, and listeners know this, but we've had a series of people that have come on that have described um, money or financially driven methods or protocols, um, you know that that ultimately have led to these deaths. And you know uh, the it's the love of money that's the root of of 
evil. And, you know, we're seeing a whole bunch of these things connected. And we've had some, you know, great doctors on that have, you know, talked about, you know, how complicit, you know, pharma and everything else is all, you know, with respect to these things. And so to me, you know, it, it is, um, you know, a, a form of murder in these cases. Yeah. And, you know, the details when we get into Grace's last day are so horrific that, uh, you know, at this point, I, you know, at the beginning, I just went into this with thinking it was an anomaly. And so we wanted to share everything with the hospital and so that they could change. You know, you just think, wow, this is, I can't believe this happened. And I don't think they know. So we, we had all the research at that time we shared with the hospital and thinking that they would want to know so they could change. And ultimately they rejected, they didn't want to have anything to do with meeting with us. And that's when we went public. And, you know, then the, at that point, I probably had a hundred hours of research and now I have about 600 hours and you start digging into this and it gets, it is really gets, uh, to the point where, I mean, it's, if I would have heard myself speak Bryce seven months ago, I would have said, this guy is a conspiracy theorist at best, best and a nut job at worst. But I mean, this has now become real to me because of the personal research that I've done. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're not alone out there doing that work and, and, you know, more and more folks are coming forward and sharing, you know, similar and tragic experiences. So, uh, you know, pick pick up where we where we left with you know her being admitted and and you know describe to us uh, you know what what she went through and what you saw. So ultimately, I was able to stay in the room with her in spite of them objecting to that when we were in the emergency room. They they had a meeting with their higher ups and they decided to let me stay, which is is fantastic because I got to see the things myself personally versus reading them in the reports as to what exactly happened. So the first day that we were, the first full day we got into the room about midnight on the 7th, uh, that day on the 7th was was really a lot of fun. Um, other than toward the end of the day, Grace and I, uh, we were watching movies and I mean, it just, it was a nice day with my best buddy. And toward the end of the day, they were switching Grace's oxygen cannula over to a high flow cannula, which irritated her, which I understand that's a cannula where it's shooting the air up your nose at about 40 miles an hour. And so she got irritated with that. Ultimately, then I worked with the two nurses on staff. We got her situated with a BiPAP mask. Again, my perception at this point was the oxygen was an emergency. That's why we went into the emergency room. Um, right. What I found out with the research is, of course, it's an emergency, but they didn't have to go through these crazy measures with a high flow cannula or any of that. And I know that because my own oxygen saturation was substantially lower than Grace's and they never had me on anything other than a regular cannula. So they were pushing these measures um, to make things look more drastic than they were. Ultimately, we got everything situated. And then the first real major event, there was there was things that were odd, you know, like uh, the, the alarms were going off constantly. And so I asked the nurses, you know, what's the reason the alarms are going off? Can't you make them go off in the nurses station? And they said, no, we can't, which I found out subsequently was a lie. 
because when I was in the hospital, they they obeyed that wish I had was I don't want to get woken up by alarms. Anyway, I asked why is the why are the alarms going off constantly? And they said, well, every time Grace moves her arms, I'm just holding up my arm here to show you. They they and so I said, well, why? And they said they put the the IV in the crux of Grace's elbow right here. So every time she'd move, the alarm would go off. So I said, well, what's the reason you, what's the reason you put it there? And they said, well, it was easier for us. So I said, oh, you gotta be kidding me. You know, so that's, that's one of, you know, maybe 50 minor things, but the two things I wanna go through to set this up are pretty major. So the, the morning of October 8th, which was Friday morning, the doctor came in and said, you're gonna to need to put your daughter on a ventilator in the next two hours. You know, so you just gotta consider the day before, Grace and I, we just goofed off the whole day. She was fine. And that was my expectation. The way it was set up with the emergency room doctor, she said, We're, you're gonna be in here three, four days, they'll put her on oxygen and then you'll be going home. And that's the way it was the first day. Then all of a sudden the second day, he wants to put her on a ventilator. So I said, what is that based on? And he said, we did a blood gas draw last night and the numbers show that she needs to be vented. And so then I said, well, what time did you do the blood gas draw? And he said about 11.30. And I, I had explained to him then what I told you about me wrestling with, with Grace and the nurses to get the oxygen situated. And I was paying attention to her numbers. I told him her blood pressure was 235 over 135 and her heart rate was 150 beats a minute at that time because we were wrestling with her with this oxygen. And so I said, I would like to have those numbers retaken so we can see what they really are. So they did that and Grace was fine. And so then I asked the doctor, what is the prognosis if Grace goes on a ventilator? And he said, only 20% of people walk out alive once they're put on a ventilator. And that was a version of the truth. I had my laptop in the room, so I started researching ventilators. At this point, I had the perception of a ventilator as a tool that they used for COVID. And it's because I believe President Trump unknowingly told the country, you know, we have a ventilator shortage and we gotta get these ventilators made and all the blah, blah, blah that went with that. And ultimately, I really never thought anything negative of a ventilator. But I mean, right now I'm gonna go on, on a, a rabbit trail because it's important. These ventilators are killers. So once I researched yeah. it, which I did right away, it, the fact is only 15% of people walk out alive and almost all of those die in the first year because of the damage it did. So why, what's the push? And subsequent to that, we dodged the ventilator bullet then, but then four times subsequent to that event, they asked us for a pre-approval or a pre-authorization just in case. And so just in case would mean when the hospital staff would choose to put a ventilator on Grace, which of course, if we would have ever agreed to that, she would have been vented 10 minutes later. And the reason is, is the money trail. There's The yeah. hospital makes approximately $300,000 if they can convince a patient or their advocate to put the patient on a ventilator. That's sickening, especially yeah, the, with this high death rate. Yeah, the ventilators are an extreme um, intervention. And, you know, they, they um, I, I do agree with you. I think inadvertently, um, you know, Trump, uh, you know, he was told, hey, we need ventilators. You know, we're going to we're going to have a massive issue of everybody's going to need to be on vents was what, you know, and, uh, Dr. Fauci and, you know, the uh, um, you know, NIH and the CDC and everybody was starting to, to use that language right at the beginning. 
Of course, right. they were all also saying that, you know, bodies were going to be piled up in the, you know, streets like cordwood. And, you know, we weren't going to have, um, you know, uh, we weren't going to have enough morgues and hospitals to deal with all this stuff. So, you know, Trump decides, OK, we need vents. All right. I'm a business guy. I can, you know, solve this problem. We'll get people making vents, um, right. you know, but but you're right. Then they created these perverse incentives for things. Um, you know, I, I've shared this on the program before, but I, I talked personally to, um, you know, hospital CEO friend of mine and they were, um, you know, they were going to go bankrupt uh, because they weren't being allowed to do their normal hospital business and instead became, you know, all about COVID and all of this. And so they were, you know, um, getting money based on what they were doing with the COVID protocols. And so it it um, incentivized them to do things like put people on vents and all of that. And for every, you know, positive uh, COVID test, they were getting money for every presumed COVID death. They didn't even need to have the the actual evidence for it. They were getting money, and and he kind of told me, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, we've got to we've got to stay in business here, and you know, this is the the world we're in right now. Yeah, and it's it's sick. I mean, and it it's you know, a business decision is one thing, but when the business decision is condition on a person's life. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd cross that line? And boy, we haven't just crossed it. I mean, the majority of hospitals have just eradicated the line. They don't care about the line anymore. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's sick. So yeah, it, it, it's, I don't want to, you know, diminish, um, you know, any of this, but we're we're seeing this, and I, I kind of said it at the beginning. We're seeing this in every single industry. COVID, you know, um, and you know whether you want to call it the, uh, uh, you know, birth pains of the Great Reset, but um, every every industry, uh, you know, from on down to our coffee shops, have changed all their protocols to be less about taking care of the customer have been less about, um, you know, doing the right things in the name of these, um, you know, uh, what, what were supposed to be temporary COVID protocols, the entire model has changed. And then, of course, you know, in the case of a hospital, you know, now it's, it's life or death um, and these protocols have been uh, changed. My wife's, uh, one of her very best friends who she uh, served on the worship team for many years was um, dying of cancer in 2020 and unable to see family, unable to see, um, you know, her kids, unable to see members of our church. You know, her husband fought like mad to be able to see her and almost was unable to um, and, and was, you know, basically, you know, said arrest me i'm not leaving kind of a thing and mm -hmm. and was able to do it but but so many people complied with with their requests and or their demands and you know pe people died alone people were you know killed uh, alone in their hospital beds by you know the, this sort of new world using covid as an excuse it's that's uh, of course right on and you know <laughs> We're telling this story. That's one reason we're telling the story is because we feel this. You, you feel the, an instant obligation morally so that other people don't die. Um, and then, you know, spiritually, you realize that 
part of obedience is shedding light on evil. And, you know, Grace's story is shedding light on evil. Grace, her whole life, that's her foundation's name is Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines On. And it's because Grace was a light. And so we're wanting this story to shed light on evil. And uh, it's been doing that. It's been wonderful to see the doors that God has opened up by just sharing the story. And it's, uh, I'm glad we chose to do it. Anyway, Amen. so if we keep going with the, the next day in the, in the process was October 9th. And this story is, is um, this is a behind-the-scenes thing that they do to set up ventilators and you know we were there so we denied the ventilator the entire time grace was never vented but if you're not there and your loved one gets on a vent and then it, you decide to get the records which very few people ever get the records one thing i'd encourage everybody to do is get the records because if there is going to be a time for justice in the future you're going to have to have the records but they can falsify the records and this next example will show you how they do it so on october 9th grace was hungry i ordered food i started feeding her obviously grace could feed herself but she had a bipap mask on so i started feeding her the nurse came running in and said you can't do that i said what's the reason she said well her oxygen saturation is only at 85 percent so i started processing that i thought this cannot be right because i mean just in the emergency room two days ago she was at 95 percent with a regular cannula and now she's got this bipap mask on forcing oxygen in her lungs it's impossible she's at 85 percent so because i was suspecting i would get covid while i was in the room with grace which i did um, i had all of my covid materials in the room which included an oxygen saturation meter so i put it on grace's finger and it read 95 percent so i called the nurse back in and asked if my meter was accurate. And she said, yes, it is. So I said, well, why is my $50 meter reading 95% and your $50,000 machine is reading 85%? And she said, well, because the leads get sweaty. So I, I said, if that's a known, why aren't you proactively changing out those leads every three or four hours or whatever is necessary to produce an accurate reading? Because this is the primary statistic you're using to manage my daughter's care. And she snottily responded, you should just be thankful you caught this. And I couldn't, I couldn't really believe that. So we were wise now to this oxygen and we're testing Grace regularly. And on Grace's last day, an hour and, an hour and 25 minutes before she died, our oxygen meter registered 93% and the hospital's meter was 49% lower. This process wow. that, I mean, the doctor admitted they had faulty equipment. I mean, none of this stuff is noted. They just chart these faulty oxygen numbers. And, you know, they're doing this. We knew they're faulty. So we're, we've got our own oxygen reading. So we know what's going on. But think through what's happening if you're not in the room paying attention to this stuff. So ultimately, then we, we go to October 10th, which was Sunday, a Sunday, October 10th, 7 o'clock in the morning, the head nurse came in with an armed guard and told me that I needed to leave immediately. And I said, well, what's the reason? And she said, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room, which, of course, you can understand why they wouldn't, because I wasn't. I wasn't allowing this stuff to go on. I was challenging the stuff. So yeah, that should be you no weren't compliant. For, right. That was no reason to kick somebody out. But I mean, you can see why they would want me out. Uh, ultimately, 
After an hour of arguing with her, she threatened to call the Appleton Police Department. I talked with an attorney friend. He said, Scott, I'd advise just leaving peacefully, so the armed guard walked me out to my truck. Then we had to hire Grace's special needs attorney to negotiate with the hospital attorney to get my daughter Jess in as a replacement advocate. My wife couldn't be an advocate because she had COVID. So during that 44 hours, so just back up to October 9th, when we got the records, we found out that they started Grace on a sedation bed called Presidex on October 9th. Presidex is ultimately... Um, the drug they used to chemically restrain Grace. This is how they set up her death. Presidex has a package insert, which is the rules they're supposed to follow that says specifically to not use for more than 24 hours because it will cause respiratory distress. And they used it for four full days before Grace's last day. During that window of the 44 hours where we didn't have coverage, they increased the dosage of Presidex seven times. And all I can attribute that to is pure laziness because they didn't want to feed her. And you'll hear the other things they did to her as we go through her last day. But I mean, they really didn't want to take care of her. They just wanted this Down syndrome girl sedated so they didn't have to deal with her. And I mean, that's just sick beyond belief. Uh, anyway, Jess finally gets in the room as a replacement advocate. In spite of being sedated, Grace was still normal. Um, they goofed around just like I goofed around with her the first day. And before Grace went to bed the evening before she died, uh, Jess called her two boys, Grace's nephews, on a FaceTime call. Grace sat up in the bed and, and waved to the boys and hollered through the BiPAP mask as loud as she could, hi, boys. You know, just normal grace, just what you'd expect. Um, you know, just re just uh, took readings of Grace's oxygen all night long. She was at 98, 99% all night long. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so odd, but when you start connecting the dots as to what all the nefarious things, then you start seeing it. So one of the things that, that happens, and all the next morning, which is the morning of Grace, Grace's last day, the doctor called us at 8 o'clock. Uh, his purpose of his call was to ask us, because he had set it up the night before with a call, about this pre-approval for a ventilator again, and we said no. Well, interestingly, that day, all these stats are available online on Grace's website, which is ouramazinggrace.net. I put together all of the, well, about 70% of the research is posted, 30% we're keeping close to the best because of the eventual lawsuit. But the one of the slides I put together is called the love of money. And the statistically on Grace's last day, the hospital was at maximum capacity. The emergency room was at maximum capacity. Remember, we denied the ventilator. So when I looked at the invoice that they sent to Medicaid, they were only making $1,680 a day on Grace. Grace's care, even though it was terrible, up until that point, there was nothing to show that they were trying to kill her. You know, the... the um, when we made that decision that we weren't going to do the ventilator for the fourth time the morning of her last day, everything changed. So, again, financially, you can see you know, they're not making any money. They have higher paying patients waiting in the emergency room for a room. Um, now we get into 
Jessica's in the room with Grace. When I was in the room with Grace, they would not let me leave, which was fine. That was a condition of me staying. So I took a shower in the room. That morning, after you know, the doctor got done with the phone call with us, he suggested after we said that we weren't gonna do a ventilator, he said, Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should do a feeding tube. So I mean, she was acknowledging how well she was doing. So she, you know, we, we foolishly agreed to that. And I say foolishly in hindsight, because there would have been no reason for a feeding tube. Grace should have been fed the whole time. And she had, she had a um, pick line in, so she could have been fed TPN food at this point, but he recommends this feeding tube. And this fits in with the story coming up here in, in a couple of events. So now Jessica says, there's a 14 year ICU nurse in charge of Grace's care. Now this, all these fit together as to why I said at the beginning, I think this is premeditated. 14 year ICU nurse, this wasn't a rookie. Jess says to the 14-year ICU nurse, minutes after we get off the phone with the doctor, that she's going to take a shower. She says, you can't do it here. You got to go home. She said, well, you guys told my dad he couldn't leave the room. He took a shower here. She said, I don't care what we told him. You've got to go home. So Jess goes home to take a shower. She's back inside of an hour. When she comes back, she overhears two doctors and and a nurse, this 14-year ICU nurse in the hallway say the family's not gonna like this. So she said, what aren't they going to like? And she, they told her, well, we had to restrain Grace while you're gone. Restraining means strapped down to the bed. So she said, what's the reason? They said, well, she wanted to get up and go to the bathroom. So process this. If you and I were in a hospital bed and wanted to get up and go to the bathroom and they said, no, we're going to strap you down, would we allow them to strap us down? Well, of course yeah. not. No. You're going to make them do their job. But Grace, you know, one of the podcasters said Grace was a martyr. And you know this is the type of kid Grace was. She just was a lovely, lovable, obedient kid. So she obediently gets strapped down to the bed. They make her poop in the bed. Then they... They ratchet up the precedex further, and you know that using that as an excuse. Then instead of waiting for Grace's numbers to rebound, the attending nurse said to the 14-year ICU nurse, "I think we should wait until Grace's numbers rebound before we do the feeding tube." She said, "No, we're not going to wait." So now they do the feeding tube back to back with strapping her down to the bed. They use that wow. as the excuse now to max out the Presidex dose. So now she's four and a half days into Presidex. Remember what I told you about the package insert? The nurses who use Presidex are the ones that use it for anesthesia. It's an anesthesia med that knocks people out for surgery. So at 1048 in the morning, Grace is knocked out. They knocked her out like she's going into surgery. In spite of being knocked out, at 11.25, they gave her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety med. Of course, being knocked out, there's no anxiety yeah, present. You don't need it. Yeah. Wow. At 5.46, they gave her another dose. Three minutes later, another dose of lorazepam. So now she's at max dose Presidex, two doses of lorazepam back to back, and then at 6.15, a two milligram dose of morphine. So that 29 minute window, she had all those meds in her system. We have an intensivist who wrote me after he saw that. It took him less than 15 minutes to review what I shared with him. He said, the meds killed your daughter. I mean, you and I would have been taken out as, you know, as, as, uh, 
you know, as healthy as we are, it wouldn't matter because you can't administer those drugs to people like that. The, the morphine package insert says to not combine those meds because it causes death. So you process what had to happen at this point. The doctor had to order those meds. A pharmacist had to sign off on those meds. The alarm, there's an alarm system that would have went off as soon as those three meds are put in combination. They had to override the alarm. And the 14-year ICU nurse had to deliver the meds. So this is not an accident. And it gets substantially worse, Bryce. So now they've given her these meds. So 6.15, Grace died at 7.27. So now we have an hour and, and 10 minutes plus, and Jessica starts feeling Grace get cold. So she gets that ICU nurse and says, hey, my sister's getting cold. Can you do a temperature? And she says, no, shit, that's normal. Just cover up with a blanket. No medical professional other than a phlebotomist who came in to take a blood gas draw came into Grace's room after they gave her the morphine. The package insert says they're supposed to monitor her closely and have the reversal drug bedside. At any point, they could have stopped her death. Jessica called Cindy and I then at 7.20 on a FaceTime call, panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, I can't, they won't come in, I've been trying. She estimated 30 nurses in the hallway at this point. So Cindy and I started screaming, save our daughter. They said, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. We holler back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. Jessica runs out into the hallway during this time and a nurse had the DNR order right on her computer screen and read it off that the doctor put a DNR on Grace and we can't do anything about it. We watched Grace die on FaceTime at 727. We never got to say goodbye. The last time I saw Grace alive was when they kicked me out of the, the hospital on the 10th of October. And if it couldn't get any worse after everything settled out that night and we were talking with Jess, she told us that there was an armed guard posted outside the room. I presume to prevent any nurse with a conscience from coming in and saving Grace. And to prove that that wasn't just a guy doing the rounds, Jessica crawled in bed with Grace after they pronounced her dead and laid with her for 25 minutes until I could get Cindy to the hospital. And that armed guard stood outside and watched Jessica the entire time through the nurse's window. We found out, so we, we had the blessing of meeting Tom Renz through this whole thing, and he's really taken us under his wing and fell in love with Grace, which, of course, she's easy to fall in love with. And he hired a, a medical malpractice nurse to look at the records. She's the one who came up with the fact that they chemically restrained Grace with Presidex. In her review of the record, she said there was a window where Grace could have been revived after they pronounced her dead, and that's presumably why the armed guard was out watching to make sure nothing happened. Anyway, horrific. Um, and the other thing that she she pointed out, I gave her all the records we had, and she said, "Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages." I said, "What are you talking about?" She said, that's the way they do it. I said, can I check every single box plus the other box? I wanted everything. 
And so she helped write up a request for more records, and she was spot on. There was 948 pages missing. On page 853 of the 948 is the smoking gun. So just process this. At 1048, she's on max dose Presidex. At 1056, eight minutes later, the doctor put the DNR order on Grace. That's illegal. But why then? One of, the, one of the attorneys who reviewed this said they thought that Prestonex was going to take Grace out. So in order to finish off the deed they had planned, they had to get that DNR in place. That day, the doctor dictated his notes at 12.57 in the afternoon. Every other day, the note was dictated at shift change, which was 7 o'clock. But this day, he dictated at 12.57. It's interesting stuff, and then there's an addendum to that particular day's report, but the medical malpractice nurse wisely pointed out that if they wanted the DNR on Grace legally, all they had to do was call you. Of course, we wouldn't have agreed to it, but, I mean, if it was that important to put a DNR on, it's required that the power of attorney for health care, which is my wife, sign it. Yeah. Yeah, so now where are they saying where are they saying they had the authority for the DNR, or where are they saying it came from? They're not saying it. They're, they're saying that in the conversations that Cindy, you know, they wrote us an official letter in the conversations that Cindy and I had with them, they're saying, well, that's when you guys agreed to a DNR, which is a bunch of crap. Why would we agree to a DNR? The note that they're referring to is that morning at 8 o'clock when the doctor called. He wrote it up. And, you know, think through. They're telling us how great of a day Grace had so, so much so that we should put a feeding tube in. Why would we even be thinking about a DNR? That wasn't even on the radar screen. Grace was doing fine. Uh, so it's, it's so frustrating. But anyway, one, one nurse at least clued us in, and we're thankful for her, even though she didn't step in and save Grace. So after everything was over and the body bag taken out, the pastor, our pastor was there. He walked Cindy out in a wheelchair. And one of the nurses who had Grace's belongings on a cart leaned down and said to Cindy that, me and the other nurses, or not, not the other nurses, some of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. And that opened up this whole uh, thing that you know ultimately ended up with you and I talking today because of all the research that went into this case. Wow. What a horrific experience. Um, so I know, you know, one of the things that I, I'm interested in in hearing from you because you've done so much of this research, and and again, you know, for for uh, the people that want to look into what you've posted, it's ouramazinggrace.net, correct? Yes, and the research is under the tragedy tab. Right. So, but but talk about the bigger picture because that's that uh, where I'm fascinated is you know what conclusions your research have kind of, you know, led you to in regards to, you know, what they're doing, because we've had a major shift, uh, you know, in, in our culture because of COVID. But prior to COVID, our medical system, uh, our hospital system, I mean, there's a lot that's wrong with it. Um, you know, Dr. Robert Yoho, who was on uh, our podcast, um, you know, last week with me, you know, he and I are going to do an episode because I, I have a pretty deep background in medical insurance. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what's wrong with healthcare in general, but the system itself is corrupt. So if you take what is already a corrupt system, that is the intersection between, you know, government regulators and, you know, big corporate interests, you know, uh, which include, you know, big pharma and all that, 
But if you take that and then you put COVID on top of it, COVID gave them an excuse to do all kinds of evil and wicked things. And, um, and they've done so much of it with impunity because, of course, you know, as I talked about earlier, you are not the only one that we've talked to that's had you know, these events. Um, and I am, I am grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm grateful for you and others that are, uh, you know, putting their resources behind shining a light on these things. Um, it, because it needs to happen. Um, and we need to push back and our communities, you know, need to be restored and we need to be, um, you know, setting the tone for what goes on in our hospitals. Well, I, thanks for that. I mean, God's doing it, and so I can't take any Amen. credit. But thank, thankfully, He uh, He's given me the motivation and the tools. And, yeah. Well, you're you're His instrument in this case, and I'm you know I'm grateful, and and uh, I know it's it's hard for you because you're you know you're you're essentially revisiting this stuff over and over again, and that I I I can't I can't imagine how painful that is for you. Well, it, it is painful, but he's also given me that spirit to be able to compartmentalize this for the uh-huh. for these interviews. I mean, I've had a few where I've lost it, but it's because yeah. the host loses it. And if I, I have a separate camera, as you and I talked off screen, so I don't have to look at you well, because if the host loses it, I mean, I'm going to lose oh, yeah. it. So. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hanging on by a thread and, and part of it, I have to, on some of these interviews, I have to compartmentalize it myself because, you know, I mean, I've got three daughters and, you know, I, I, if I, if I start to imagine, you know, the, the helpless feeling you had in there, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, it'll, it'll get, uh, it'll get dusty in here really quick. So. Yeah. Um, so what, what I, so at first after Grace died, you know, we're researching just her case and you know discovered that they killed her you know then we thought well was it did they do this intentionally you know all these thoughts go through your head um and then then i discovered uh we were on newsmax and so to present the case on newsmax that really got me digging because you know it's national tv live and so then boy i gotta be prepared so then i started doing a lot more digging and ultimately that led to this love of money situation. So then I thought this is about money. And you know, I have uh, a slide on Grace's website that documents the money trail. And you know, it's the money is a is a huge piece, but then we filed complaints with the state organization that regulates hospitals and the state organization that regulates doctors. And if you look at Grace's website, you'll see that the volumes of research are so much. I sent all of this, plus the stuff that we're keeping close to the vest, to the state organizations. And both of them did investigations and said the hospital and the doctor did no wrong. So then the light bulb went on that they're in on this because how can they do no wrong? So then all of a sudden the research took a different turn to think, okay, what is really going on here? And Dr. Elizabeth Belit really set the stage for that because she said there's a concept that got started, um, you know, she claimed it was about 12 years ago called attenuated or ration care. As I found out, you know, that, that got me on this, this whole idea of what's really going on. And it led me to Agenda 21 and then genocide. And so Agenda, Agenda 21 is basically the sustainability agenda for both climate control and population control. So then you start looking into genocide. So could this really be genocide? You know, are we that dark? 
And, you know, the stats are starting to come out now that I, I believe I can prove this is genocide. And they actually set it up for a couple of decades. So the a disabled woman, so they have these the stats already in the UK, a disabled woman in the UK that ends up in the hospital with COVID compared to a non-disabled woman has a 10.8 times more likely chance of death. So how is that? You know, Grace was just as healthy as a, as a non-disabled woman. So, I mean, it has to be the disability that's causing the death rate to be 11 times higher. And the same thing is happening with the elderly. I haven't researched the elderly stats yet, but just process why this is. In the United States, the people on Medicaid, which are the disabled, the people on Medicare, which are the elderly, account for 39% of the federal budget. So if they can incentivize these hospitals to the tune of 100,000 on average per COVID patient as a bonus, and it saves the government, which is us, on average $32,000 per year per person on Medicaid and Medicare, it's a three-year payback. I own a business. If anybody showed me something with a three-year payback, I would do it every single time because that's a 33% rate of return on your money. You know, so this is this is um, so dark; it's hard to even grasp. Uh, so I've and, and so how did they set this up? I mean, they set it up for decades. Every single young person who gets pregnant now gets tested to see if their baby is going to have Downs or some other disability. Sixty-seven percent of Down syndrome children are already aborted in this country. So think yep. about the young people now in the medical profession. They already see these people as worthless. They've been conditioned to see them as worthless. And the same thing is with the elderly. You know, 50 years ago, nursing homes were not common. Now, as soon as you, you get old, they just throw you in a nursing home. Your family doesn't take care of you anymore. Yeah, so, well, you and I, um, and I know the audience will remember uh, what happened in New York uh, with Governor Cuomo. You know, it was a very much an intentional thing where they, they made sure that they sent those COVID patients back into those nursing homes. And... You know, uh, they did it in multiple states where then the, you know, COVID rates went through the roof because they put people right in those vulnerable populations. And and you're right. Those folks cost the system a tremendous amount of money. And and the, the obligations that the government has in regards to Social Security and Medicare and, you know, everything else. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard to think about, but it makes sense that they they get to they get to you know uh, you know unplug them so to speak you know from you know from sucking the resources you know and this is the way that they think. And they, I, it is the way that they think, and so you have uh, you know a number of the medical professionals who are are just following orders, but that doesn't give you an excuse. I mean, I, have you heard of the Milgram obedience experiment before? Uh, refresh my memory, but I think I know this one. It was in 1963. I mean, I, I have this, uh, I posted on Grace's website now too. I just posted it this last week. But what happened there is they, they took a series of people, they set up this experiment where they had half actors and half participants. And the, the actors would answer questions incorrectly and the participant oh, yeah. would give them a jolt. 
and two-thirds of the participants jolted the the actors to the point of a jolt that would kill them. And you know, just by the the person prompting them to say, well, you know, this experiment requires you to do this. And so they obediently killed people. You know, of course, that's, and I think that is happening in hospitals. It's no excuse. I mean, the people still have to stand on their choice. You can't rationalize yeah. it that you were being obedient to authority. But that, that experiment was done to prove what, or not prove, but explain what could have happened in Nazi Germany because it's like so egregious. And that same thing is yep. happening in, in hospitals across America right now, across the world. I mean, we're not yeah, the people, only people ones in, that are People in positions of, you know, mid-level authority um, will very easily do those things, and they'll justify it in their conscience, um, you know, pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, uh, about our police if, you know, they are given orders to, you know, do things like, you know, here in California, we're fighting against numerous bills that are, you know, giving the, uh, the authority for our um health departments to to essentially uh, insist that the police come and arrest people who are ignoring you know their their authority and their rule and I keep and people keep telling me oh the uh, you know the sheriff's department won't do that the police won't do that and I go oh you want to bet because at the end of the day there will be a few that courageously stand up and say hey I'm not going to do this um, but there will only be a few because at the end of the day, people will say, well, okay, hey, what can you do? I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, I've got my pension and I've got to feed my family and, you know, things like right. that. And they'll, and they'll willfully go down that, that path. And nurses and teachers and, you know, all of these folks that we're watching go down these paths of teaching these horrible things or, you know, going along with, um, you know, horrific protocols in the hospitals on on down to your, um, you know, folks that were insisting, you know, masks and, you know, following people around in stores, yelling at them that they need to put their mask over their nose. All of that is a great indication that, you know, we are doomed unless we, you know, unless we stop this stuff um, now, because if it continues on, you know, we're not going to have people stand up uh, otherwise. Yeah, that's that's spot on. Uh, and you know, how can thirty nur nurses witness Grace die? How can not one of them has stepped forward yet? I mean, that yeah. just shows you. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Our story is national. Everybody knows our story in the local market. You know, there's no there's no excuse for not stepping forward. Yeah. What what else in the you know big picture of this um, you know that surprised you as you started to to get into it? Because there's a lot of things that that you know we we would have um, you know thought about as um, you know conspiracy theory stuff and you know oh uh, you know I got to give credit to Alex Jones and some of those folks uh, you know over the years that have been saying these things are coming. Um, where, you know, I, I dismiss the, you know, other oh, crazies, you know, some of them have wild styles and things like that. But, but there's been a lot of people that have been right on some things that were, um, stuff that you and I, uh, you know, would have never considered in the past. I, you know, the most surprising thing maybe isn't the big picture thing. It's a small picture thing. And that is, uh, how much fear controls people. You know, we, we had a rally for grace. Um, and some 
people who we would have considered our friends wouldn't come based on fear. Um, yeah. You know, that, that really shocks me that fear has, you know, we're out there. You know, I, I'm working 12 to 16 hours a day, every day on this, you know, risking person, my, you know, we're risking our life going out there. And, yeah. you know, God thankfully didn't give me a spirit of fear, but he doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear. These are, you know, people who claim to be Christian, you know, God doesn't want us to be operating in a spirit of fear. So that's probably the most surprising thing to me is how yeah. much, how much fear is out there. It, it It is absolutely true. And, you know, we, we saw that, you know, even early on in this virus when, you know, when it was pretty clear that it wasn't a automatic death sentence and, you know, kids weren't dying of it every day and, you know, all that stuff that we saw, and yet people were still, you know, so terrified, irrationally terrified. And it is a heartbreaker uh, when you see friends and family, you know, get caught up in that. And, um, you know, it, it it breaks my heart. And, and some of those same folks, I mean, to, to very, very few people's credit, because it's only been a couple in my experience that have, you know, kind of come around and said, oh, wow, I, I was wrong. Um, you know, there's so many of those folks have continued to double down like, well, whew, we just barely missed it kind of a thing. And they're they're acting as if all of this nonsense, um, you know, is the reason that they escaped it um, rather than looking at, wait a second, we were lied to, uh, you know, all along in this thing. Well, yeah. so, you know, we only have a couple of minutes left. And in those couple of minutes, number one, you know, let's let's, um, you know, how, how can people help you and, uh, you know, give your website again, because, um, you know, we'd, we'd, with, if people are called to support you, I'd love for them to, to know where to go. Yeah, so the website is ouramazinggrace.net. There is a give, send, go under the how can you help tab. And so, of course, we that would be fantastic. We have started a billboard campaign. So we have, uh, because of the billboards, we have in excess of 300000 already of our own money. And this is a, it's become wow. a, a big deal. Um, we're expecting a lawsuit coming. So we're going to, you know, obviously have a lot of funds tied up there. Um, we did start a, a charitable foundation, which is pretty neat. So we're just launching that now. We did our first uh, grant to a... Down syndrome girl who's 19, just like Grace, and, oh, and awesome. uh, we, gave, we gave her a three wheel bike over Memorial Day weekend. And oh my gosh, it was like uh, just her face was beaming. She got on that thing and she just gave her, and and uh, oh, it was it was it was like she she tasted freedom. She could just go, you know. So yeah. it, was, it was really a neat. That was really a neat thing. So we see that's where it's going. Uh, so of course we'd like people to to stay at, you know, pay attention with all the website updates. We have a, a newsletter through Substack that you can sign up for uh, on the website. We have a Facebook page that you can link to on the website. And then we're doing a family Zoom meeting coming up next Tuesday at 7 p.m. And that's for 100 people to participate with our family. We're going to tell the story, and then people have a chance to interact and ask questions. And so that's via a sign-up, only 100 participants. So you can do that via the website also. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for, for joining us. I you know I appreciate it. I, I know our listeners and, and viewers do too. And, um, you know, our, our hope is in Jesus, and uh, I am encouraged by fighters like you who are, you know, r risking it all and, um, you know, not being afraid of, uh, 
you know, of these uh, hospitals. And, you know, I know that um, a lot comes at you um, when you when you start to stand up and you start to fight back. And uh, so, hey, we're going to we're going to pray for you. And I know the audience will. And, um, you know, God, God bless you for for doing this. And, and again, thank you so much for for the time. Well, thank you for having me. A prayer that everybody could could say is regarding the consciences of the doctors and nurses, because if they Amen. repent, we can we can stop this quick. Yeah, we need whistleblowers, and we need people who right. who stand up, you know, um, against these you know evil practices. So, thanks, thanks for well, thank me you, me sir. Today. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Liberty Station, and. Um, you know, we uh, appreciate everybody who's uh, following these stories and just, uh, you know, make sure that you're sending these prayers and, um, and any help you can. Thank you for uh, joining us and good night.